Lord God, master of the universe, the one who has spun all of this into being and before whose name we bow, we want to ask for the presence of thy spirit here this morning, that thou wilt be with us as we are gathered together. We know there is no place where thou art not. And yet in thy word, we read that there is a special promise where two or three are gathered together in thy name. And so Heavenly Father, we want to claim that promise that thou wilt be with us now as we would look into thy word together. The times we are living in are confusing, ever-changing, divisive even. But Heavenly Father, all of humanity, all the sons and daughters of Adam, can find common heritage, common purpose in the God who created them and loves them. Be with us now, Heavenly Fathers, we would look into thy word and be with those throughout this world that are preaching thy word and even perhaps doing so in the face of great persecution. We're mindful of the believers that are suffering terribly under the hand of oppressive regimes, whether in Afghanistan or communist China or other places in this world where the name of Jesus Christ is hated with such an intense hatred that blood is spilled for it. Heavenly Father, be with them and let thy truth continue to go forth until thou wilt split the skies and return in glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the basis for this morning's meditation, please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, the final chapter. I'd like to begin reading with the first verse. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For where they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, 
Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I've read the entire chapter. Let's kneel for prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we realize that these words written so long ago have been addressed to us and that we indeed, poor as we are, are holy brethren. Brothers of, and sisters of Jesus Christ who have been made holy by his blood. Dear Father, what a awesome privilege. Who are we that we would be called brothers and sisters, that we would be the children of the living God, and that we can be made holy. We can be separated from sin, separated unto thee from, from the darkness, the confusion, the evil that is around us, dear Father, and we can be made holy. Our minds are our, our souls and spirits and bodies can be made holy through the blood of Jesus. And we realize, dear Father, how what a precious promise that continually gives, that this is not a one-time experience, but dear Father, it is a continual, a continual walk with Thee, of being in Thy presence, of being made holy by our connection to the vine. Dear Father, we're so thankful for this moment in time, this special promise of the presence of Jesus Christ among his holy brethren. As he bathes the wounds, as he cleanses the dirt that's gathered on the garments, as he speaks a word of rebuke to those that are straying, as he speaks a word of comfort to those that are cast down. What a special hour, dear Father. And it is not because of man. It certainly is not because of man. It is because of thy good and Holy Spirit who speaks in the heart of all those who believe, who even speaks in the hearts of those who are resisting and those who are struggling with belief. 
What a gracious Lord that would do this, that would not leave a, a, a fallen mankind festering in their sins. Dear Father, we thank Thee for this privilege and we realize we're not worthy of it and we also realize that it demands a response from us, a keenness, a desire to do Thy will, dear Father. And even that we know flags and we're weak, but we know Thy Holy Spirit again. He comes and He, he empowers. Thy word draws us again to Thee and we are able through the power of Jesus Christ to do his works to do the things that he wants us to do dear father we thank thee for this hour we pray dear father that it would accomplish its purpose we know thy word will do that we have confidence in it that the, the god that has promised this the god that has given this word he will accomplish his purpose dear father help us to be aligned with that we pray for the brother that is to divide it unto us that is to to apportion Dear Father, give him the, the grace and the humility to, to understand uh, his role in that and our role as receivers of it, that we don't receive this word from man. We need to receive it as from the living God who can speak, who knows all of our circumstances down to the minutest details, down to the thoughts of our heart, the, the things that we struggle with, the things that, that, that continually plague us. Thou knowest it all completely. Dear Father, this morning hour, we wish to intercede as a church for those among us that are sick, those that are struggling with diseases that, uh, that are weighing them down, that are plaguing their bodies, that are not momentary, that seem to um, be getting heavier and heavier day by day. Dear Father, we intercede for healing for them. We ask as a church that they would be healed, that they would be fully restored in their bodies. But dear Father, we pray this according to thy will, according to as thou wilt do, because we know thy plan, thy purpose, dear Father, is to one day give us new bodies and to give us an eternal body that will not suffer the, the ravages of sin. Dear Father, we pray for those that are in bonds, as we've been reminded of this, this past week and, and the past weeks, the difficulties that are faced by thy children around the world and that we have very little idea of in this present age here in Canada. We pray for them, dear Father. We pray for ourselves too in this, that thou wouldst prepare us for the trials that will come, the tests, the clear choices that will be presented to us one day soon of forsaking comfort and uh, ease and maybe even our jobs or our livelihoods for the sake of the gospel. Dear Father, help us now to lay those things down, even as we do them, even as we go about our occupations and our jobs and providing for families and commerce and whatever it be, help us to lay those things down now before thy feet so that it is not a, 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 such a great thing in that day. Dear Father, we thank thee for the truth that has been given to us, has been handed down to us, we know preserved ultimately by thee, but as thou hast used faithful men and women in the past, and we thank thee for this, and we don't wish to put that aside or, or treat it lightly, the, the, the goodly heritage we have received. Help us now, here in this day and age, to act upon what we have received, to build, to do, to invest with the talents we've been given. Dear Father, the time is short, 
The day is rapidly drawing to a close. We are children of the day. We need to wake up. Help us to do that also this morning hour. Dear Father, we thank thee for all these things in thy word, the promises, dear Father, and we know that we do. All the promises are yes in Jesus Christ and that we can receive them as we open our hearts to to him, as we welcome him as our Lord, the one who sits on the throne of our hearts, that place within us in which the decisions, the, the thoughts, the intents, the motives spring from. If he is sitting there as Lord, dear Father, all is well. We pray this in his name. Amen. There is a story told that supposedly happened back, I believe, in the Middle Ages. And there was a learned elderly rabbi in one of these European towns, I think it was in Germany. And a young man, thinking to poke fun at him, approached him and said, Rabbi, I would like for you to explain to me the law and the prophets while I stand here on one leg. Of course, he thought that this was going to be some long-winded explanation. The rabbi simply looked at him and said, young man, it simply says, do not do to someone else what you would not have done to you. The rest is commentary. And the young man was stunned, and as the story goes, he changed from his nominal Christian background, whatever that was, to to the Jewish faith, based on that statement. The great teachers have always been characterized by brevity. They could say, in a few words, a great amount of truth. No one is better characterized by this than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because what that rabbi perhaps didn't realize is his statement, though short and true, was not complete and did not accurately reflect the whole heart of God. Because Jesus came and said, what you would have someone do to you, do that to them. The Apostle Paul, who was also at one time a learned rabbi, is also characterized by this shortness of speech, these small, short sayings. And he gives us a whole bunch of them here in this chapter that we've read together. I'd like to dwell a little bit on some of them. I don't expect to be able to expound on all of them, but perhaps you can think about them in your own time as well and reflect on them because there's a great deal of truth there if you'll stop and pause and meditate on that. In our busy world full of posts and feeds where lots of words are thrown at us and many of them mean very little, it's good to take the word of God and hide it in our heart and meditate on it. Think of it as a seed that needs, like the rain we had the other evening, needs 
the moisture that only comes from above to spring, but ultimately to bring forth fruit. Seed in the ground that only receives moisture and that's it, it can rot, it does nothing. It's expected to bring forth fruit. So careful meditation will also bring forth good fruit when we hide the word of God in our heart. You know, the thing that I love about the word of God is that it is indeed timeless. These pages were written, these, these words were written down first in the Greek language some 2,000 years ago almost, and yet they're so, so appropriate for the day in which we live. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. We expect the return of the day of the Lord. Many Christians, since the days of Christ, have been mocked for this very fact. Already in the time of Scripture, we can read, they they say, where is the promise of his coming? We've been waiting, and still we wait. But the Word of God tells us that precisely when people stop paying attention to that, when people are no longer watching carefully, he will return. Knowing this then, as those who have professed to follow the Lord, we need to watch. That part is obvious. And of course, if we watch, I, I've never been very comfortable with people that try to give any kind of a timeline on the Lord's coming. We don't know. And this scripture tells us that precisely when we don't think he's coming, he's going to come. So when people make statements like, well, the Lord's going to return in the next couple of years, I know it. You don't know. That's the important part. So you need to watch. You don't know. So you need to watch. It could be next year. It could be a thousand years from now. I do not know. But I do see certain things coming into play that definitely would put his time coming nearer. Anyone who's heard the debates that surround vaccine passports and understands what Revelation tells us about a mark that is coming that will prevent activity if you do not have it, we can see how these things relate. I am not saying that vaccine passports are that. But we can certainly see how technology now exists that would allow the control, the degree of control that Revelation talks about to be a present reality. We can see that. I don't think this is news to anyone who is even a, a, a very uh, inexperienced student of the Bible. So we can see these things. Please don't think that I'm trying to equate vaccines with the mark of the beast or vaccine passports with the, the, the number 666. I am not. Let me be very, very clear about that just in case anyone has any misconceptions about that. But we can see the machinery, the mechanisms being put into place that would very easily allow that if that was the case. That I will say. And so we can say, that we know the times and the seasons. We see the spirit, the push, the effort of the time. 
And so we need to be careful. We're not in darkness. The Word of God characterizes us as children of light, children of the day. We don't need to hide anything. We can be upfront about this. And whether or not the authorities will allow us to continue to preach in this way or not is not the point. We don't fear them. The truth is never afraid of a lie. Neither is the light afraid of darkness. We are children of the day. We need to behave like that. Share truth where we are given opportunities, but to do so in the way that our Lord did. He outlines that very carefully for us in his word. Therefore, let us not sleep. That's an important one for us today. You know, when I'm really confused or or wrestling with something, it weighs me down. It tires me out. And sometimes I need to retreat into sleep because it's just too much for me. I just can't wrestle with it anymore. I need to just leave it and, and just go to sleep and I'll think about it again in the morning. And I think this is part of Satan's design to confuse us, to confound us, to fill our lives and our heads with so much that it simply becomes immobilizing and we stop paying attention. We drift off into spiritual slumber and so we are not ready for his return. We need to be careful of that. Neither to um, dive headlong into the world of conspiracy theories nor into the uh, group think of the time but to look ever more closely at the Word of God, to search out the light so that we would understand what is here. It would be hidden in our hearts and that if the Word of God was to be taken from us, no one could take it from, from our hearts where it has been hidden. They that are asleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. One of the things I think that Satan is doing very well is simply turning down the lights in the world. It was said of unity in religion that all colors agree in the dark. All colors look the same if you turn down the lights far enough. That's the way it is. uh, The distinguishing marks between um, everything from from the sexes to uh, uh, even ideologies and and what words mean are, 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 are being obscured, rubbed away. Words no longer mean what they used to mean. They're used as symbols for other things and they become confusing. We need to return to the word. This will sharpen us. This will help us to understand the correct definition of words and how they should be used and how we should use them. Talks about being drunken in the night. You don't see many drunks stumbling around in the noonday sun. That happens under cover of darkness when people lose their inhibitions. In that, I see a warning also for how Christians should behave in the anonymity of the online world. When we think no one sees us, and that doesn't apply, of course, 
to uh, engaging in illicit behavior, in, 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 in looking at things that we shouldn't look at, or, or, or investing, investigating things we, we have no business looking into, or uh, even uh, wasting time on, on, on games and activities that are counterproductive, that dull our senses, but also how we behave when we think we're anonymous, when we think we're hidden. People say things online that they would never say to someone else's face if they were face-to-face -face with the person. It's very easy to vent. And rage becomes the language that people speak in. You run out of ways to say that they're angry. Caps aren't enough anymore. Emojis aren't enough anymore. Attacks have to be personal. That doesn't belong with the children of the day or the children of light. Whatever you post online, you should be able to stand beside that if someone was to view it. Say, so, yeah, yeah, I wrote this. Is there a problem with what I've said? Is there a problem with how I've said it? Remember, darkness obscures evil. Evil hides in the darkness. We need to behave as children of light. But let us who are of the day be sober. Clear thinking. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. The breastplate, of course, covers the chest. What's the most important thing in your chest? Your heart. Your heart needs to be covered by faith and love. People would sometimes like to hide behind, say, truth. But that's not what Scripture says here. Truth is for the attacks of the enemy, but our heart needs to be protected by both faith and love. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and how it makes a difference in our lives. Those are critical. Without those three things, you're going to be unmoored. Love. Because the chief defining attribute of the Lord of glory is love. He is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. When we think about that, and we say that we're his children, we should also be characterized by these things. Are we? I think some of us would like to serve a God of truth, not necessarily a God of love, because truth is a beautiful, sharp weapon. I confess, I, 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 uh, I gravitate towards that as well. I, I like the idea of the, the, the objective nature of truth, that it's something that if you have a problem with it, that's your problem. The truth stands alone. But the Word of God tells me that I need to protect my heart with love. And that if we're not telling the truth in love, we can be using a weapon in a way that only wounds and never binds up, as our Lord did. He came to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. Are we really concerned about that? How we, how we articulate truth is so, so important. For in helmet, the hope of salvation. That's a good one for this day and age. Do you want to protect your mind? Guard it with the hope of your salvation. Realize that there is coming a day when the Lord will right every wrong, when every lie will be exposed, when the truth will be upheld and glorified, 
and ultimately he will triumph. If we have that knowledge, no one will be able to shake us. No one will be able to um, disrupt our peace. No one will be able to put us out of sorts. You know, if you know you're going to win, what can your opponent do that can shake you or, or, or fluster you? You know the victory's assured. You can just simply laugh at those, those attacks. It's, it doesn't mean anything. The victory is already accomplished. That hope of salvation does the same thing for us. That hope of salvation actually goes beyond the grave. So when the, the Christian is threatened with the loss of life, he can go to his death smiling, as many have, knowing that he is protected by a hope of salvation that goes beyond the grave. That's something that as I get older, I realize is so important. My, my life is going to leave me anyway. One day that will happen. For one day, say, peace and safety. I'm going to stop there for a second and just think about that for a moment. What is it that the world looks for most right now? Isn't it peace and safety? Some countries are pursuing different uh, policies in dealing with this pandemic, and one of them, one policy, one direction, is, a, is, a, is an approach called zero covid which the idea is that as soon as a case is identified, lockdowns are imposed, and, uh, and, and, and isolation of those cases and treatment of those cases uh, are, are, are um, uh, began. And until those cases are cleared, things do not reopen. Those countries that pursue those, those directions, so that, 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 that policy, are seeking for safety. I'm not going to debate whether or not the policies are effective or a good idea. That's not the point. They're willing to sacrifice a whole lot of things for this idea of safety. The problem is, when we do that down here with the systems and the techniques of this world, we will find that whatever we have traded for safety, we have lost both. We have lost what we have traded and we have lost safety because there is very little, very little, that we can control down here. But for the one that wears this hope of salvation on his head, protecting his mind, doesn't need to fear. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Remember that. He died for us. If we are required to die for him, is that really such a high price when we consider what he brought with his death to us? Is life down here, if it gets twisted out of shape with what God intended, really worth living? Now, if you are not a Christian, you're going to probably say, yes, better to be alive than dead. But for the Christian, for the one that has crossed over, who has realized these things, who has experienced this change, I think we can clearly say no. Life twisted out of the will of God 
is not worth living. I would rather choose death than life at that point because it means I get to be with my Lord. One day my life will be taken from me anyway. Remember that. The hope of salvation says when that happens, I get to see Jesus. Who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, that's whether we live or die, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. That's why we're here this morning. These are words of comfort for the believer. These are ways that we build each other up. These are ways that we say to one another, brother, sister, it's not that bad. God hasn't been sleeping. Everything is going according to his will, ultimately. And one day we'll see him. So this really isn't all that bad. You know, sometimes people try to make too big an issue of things. I think one of the things that has become a divisive issue and maybe unnecessarily so is the whole issue of masks in church. You know, some people even going as far to say, well, I'm not going to go to church if I have to wear a mask. If the believers in communist China were told, you can gather and preach whatever you like as long as you wear a mask, they'd be overjoyed. They'd be elated. They'd be so thankful that they had the opportunity to both speak and hear the truth in an unmolested way, and all it required was a scrap of cloth across their face. Face. I'm no fan of masks. I think if you talk to me about the subject, you know that already. But this isn't the point. We're children of the day. We need to walk in the light. And the things that characterize the God of light, the God of love, should characterize us as well. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. There's a whole bunch of unpopular words for today's day and age, isn't it? Over you. Ooh, the language of the oppressor. Submission is probably the dirtiest word right now in our society. And yet Christ asks us to submit not only to him, but to the ones that he has placed over us. Doesn't that just reek of the oppressive patriarchy? No. It's the language of love. It's the one who submitted to his father, even to the point of death, to do what he knew God wanted him to do. Because in doing so, there would be a huge benefit to the ones that he loved. That was us. I don't think we fully understand how much we have lost because we have lost the language of submission. We don't even realize. We don't even realize the damage we've done by resisting that. And I'm talking from my own perspective as well. I'm also a product of my culture. The idea of su submission rankles me as well. But I see it in Scripture, and so I won't deny it. I need to practice it. When you submit to authority, you are ultimately submitting to the idea that God will sort all things out. Do you believe that? If you don't, you will have problems with submission. I can guarantee it. 
Jesus himself said, look, if you seek for honor from other people, if you want to lift yourself up, you won't be able to believe. Those are shocking words when we think about it in those terms. You will not be able to believe if you seek honor from other people. And isn't that the attitude of the unsubmissive? I want to be acknowledged. I want to stand out. Those which God has put among you and labor over you. I'm so thankful that our ministers and elders are not compensated in any way monetarily for what they do. That's such a healthy thing. No one can hold that over my head and say, you do this for profit. I can say, I do it because I believe it should be done, and God has placed me here whether I want it to or not. I'd rather be sitting in the benches and listening. Honestly, I would. You know, when I listen to some of the old sermons of the past, it humbles me because the brothers that have preached from our pulpits have been far more capable and better examples than I am. They could, with the authority of men of God, speak few words that it impact. And sometimes I wonder if what I'm saying has any difference at all. They're here to admonish you. That's not popular. No one likes to be told what to do, especially if it's against what they're currently doing. But we're to esteem them. It says very highly in love. In love? Not just knuckle under and button our lip, but we're to esteem them in love for their work's sake, for what God has called them to do. Now that puts a lot of weight on us. Because whatever we have to do, we have to try to do it in love as well. Because we know that love is a two-way street. People need to see our love for them by the concern we have for them. And we hope that they will love us in return. But it's certainly not guaranteed. And be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. And I would add there, and have the wisdom to know when to, when to do one or the other. We need to understand who we're dealing with. Some of our brothers and sisters maybe can't take certain words, and we have to be careful how we speak to them. Maybe they need a word of comfort and a word of exhortation, not a word of admonishment. That may come later, or from someone else. We've got to be careful how we speak with one another, but we should know each other well enough to know how we should speak to one another. Then there will be peace among us. You know, I think I'm not going to get to the end of the chapter. That's obviously clear. I didn't expect to. But I think we can see that the peace of God will come when the love of God is there. God doesn't expect, he never expected to abolish all differences between us and to stamp us all into some sort of mold. You only need to look at Christ's disciples and the, and the motley crew that they were to realize that God was not really interested in pushing everyone into one mold, but that the love of God would be the thing that would bind them together, and where that love of God would be, there would also be the peace of God. So I hope that that would also be the case for our church. And as we navigate through these difficult times, I think it's pretty clear to everyone now that uh, this 
pandemic and the ramifications of it and this virus are probably not going away anytime really soon. We're going to have to figure out how to live with this thing. That in doing so, the church of God would draw closer together. One of the things I read, but I didn't meditate on, was it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. We've had to suspend that for now because of this virus. But I look forward to the day when we once again practice that because it is a command of Scripture. Whether or not it's popular, whether or not it adds numbers to the church is of no importance. If God's Word says it, we need to do it. And we need to do it in truth. And we need to do it in love. Forgive me for going over time. May the Lord add wherever there was a lack. Amen.